Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm your host, Abigail Snyder, and this is the Armchair Travel Show, where you don't have to leave your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is your car, you stay there. If your comfort zone is your dorm room, you stay there. And if your comfort zone is your living room, you stay there. Today on The Virtual Voyage, we're headed to an exciting site in Israel. This site is Tel Hatzor, which is the largest biblical-era site in Israel, spanning about 200 acres. I've been to Hatzor a few times, but I must confess that I'm no expert in the site. But the good news is that I've enlisted the help of someone who is, Dr. Shlomit Bikar, who will be our primary tour guide today. Shlomit received her PhD from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, and she has been a leading staff member of the excavations here at Tel Hatzor since 2007. And since 2015, she has served as co-director of the excavations. She's also written a number of articles and even co-authored a book on the site. So I'm excited for her to share all that she knows. We're just arriving at Hatsor now, so let's hurry off the bus and meet Shlomit. Ah, there she is. Shlomit, thank you so much for joining us here on the virtual voyage. It's my big, big pleasure. Thank you for having me. Let's go ahead and pay and head into Tel Hatzor. Looking around, we can see some of the archaeological remains. There is a lot to look at. I mentioned that this is a huge site. So could you tell us, just as by way of introduction, how much of the site is currently excavated? Oh, that's a really good question. So the site, like you said, is about 200 acres. But this includes both the Acropolis, which is where we are standing right now, as well as the lower city, which is, if you look to your north, this is the huge field that is uh, in front of us. And most of this has not been excavated yet. So um, the Acropolis is about 10 hectares, and the lower city is about 70 hectares. And most of the lower city hasn't been excavated. On the Acropolis, I would say something like um, 25% of it has been excavated, maybe even a little less. Um, but even from this very small uh, percentage of excavation, we know so much about the site. Well, along those lines, give us the history of the site. When was it founded? Uh, what were some major time periods in which it developed? And what are the major events that took place here at Hadzor? Okay, so the site was first established um, in the early Bronze Age, so in the third millennium BCE. Uh, and then um, it was um, a large urban center when cities were first uh, founded, and it became a small rural village during the what we call the Intermediate Bronze Age, which is the end of the third millennium BCE. But then around 1750 BCE, Chatzor was founded as what we call Greater Chatzor, this very large city with the Acropolis and the lower city, the city that encompasses an area of about 70 hectares with ties uh, from uh, Egypt all the way to uh, uh, the city of Mari in Babylon. Um, so this is a very large city, very important city. And it's what the way we see it is that it is the southernmost Syrian city of its time. And the city continued to exist until around uh, the middle of the 13th century BCE, when the city was destroyed in a large conflagration throughout the entire city. After this destruction, after a hiatus of about 100 and between 100 and 150 years, the, the settlement at the site was renewed. Uh, but this is a small settlement of the period that we call the Iron One. 
Um, so this is the first Israelite settlement, let's say it this way, but it's a very small settlement. It's not a city. The city is revived only in the 10th century, in the days of Solomon. Um, this time, it's a very small city, only half of the Acropolis, so so only five hectares of the city. But then in the 9th century BC, the city doubles its size and a new fortification system is built surrounding um, the both sides of the Acropolis. It continues to exist uh, in the 8th century as well until its final destruction by the Assyrian king Tiglat Pileser III um, as part of his military campaign against the northern kingdom of Israel. So can you explain, uh, Shlomit, the strategic location of Hatzor? The book of Joshua says it's in a strategic place, calling it the head of all those kingdoms, being the Canaanite kingdoms. But just how significant is its location? So Hatzor is located in the Hula Valley. Um, this is um, a prime location because, first of all, the environment here and the climate here is very comfortable. Um, there is a lot of water around the Hula Lake, which today is much, much smaller than what it was in the ancient times, because we have to remember that the Hula Lake was drained by the British mandate because um, it was uh, bringing lots of diseases um, because of the malaria and the mosquitoes. So it was much, much larger than what we see today. Um, and we know that the people of the site used and utilized the Hula Lake uh, for their own needs from the animals that we see that were uh, that were consumed on the site and um, for many other reasons as well. Um, and as in addition to that, the climate in this region is a Mediterranean climate. So you always have water, you always have things that you need. There is farming, there is agriculture, and we have remains of that from the surrounding of the site as well. In addition to that, Hatzor is located in kind of a gateway to the north. It's sitting in a in a junction of major roads that lead to Syria, that lead to the coast and Lebanon, and also lead to the south, to Egypt. So its location is very strategic. And like you said, Joshua says that Hatzor was the head of all those kingdoms. It was the the largest city during the, the Bronze Age, so during the Canaanite times. Um, it was the most important one because uh, of its strategic ties with these other cities. We know, for example, um, there are two different archives that talk about Hatzor. One of them is from the Middle Bronze Age. This is the archive, the well-known archive in the city of Mari, which is located on the border between modern-day Syria and Iraq. And in this archive, there are about 20,000 letters. Some of them haven't been deciphered yet, but the only city in the Southern Levant that is mentioned in this archive is the city of Hatzor. And there are at least, I can tell you of at least two uh, references to Hatzor. One of them is uh, part of this uh, dream genre. Uh, of A person falling asleep and in the morning they write their dream on a on, they document their dream. And in this specific dream, the, the person is talking about how he's walking in his dream. So he starts in Babylon, he goes to um, Mari, he goes through all these different Syrian cities, Ebla, Katna, and then at the end, he wakes up at Hatzor. So for the people in Mari and the people in the Mesopotamian world, Hatzor is the end of the cultural world. They don't, there is nothing beyond Hatzor. So, and Hatzor is part of this uh, world. 
So this is one example. The other example is a document of two messengers that lived in Chatzor, two Babylonian messengers that lived in Chatzor, and now they're uh, traveling back to uh, Babylon uh, with uh, an, um, a person from Chatzor who is accompanying them. So we know of this archive, and we see that Chatzor is the most important city during this time, since it's the only one that is mentioned. And in the late Bronze Age, the very famous archive of the Elamarna uh, that was found in the city of Elamarna also mentions uh, Chatzor, of course, but in contrast to other cities in the southern Levant, the king of Chatzor is the only king that refers to himself as king when he talks to the Egyptian king, and other kings also refer to him as king. So he has a special status. Also, when you look at how he's talking to the Egyptian king, so other kings say, uh, my my father, I bow to you seven times. I kiss your feet. You are the son, blah, blah, blah. When the king of Chatzor speaks to the Egyptian king, he says, more or less, hey, what's up? He's talking to him like they're equals. So this also tells us of the special status of Chatzor. Well, as we continue to explore Hatzor here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM, we know, Shlomi, that the name Tel implies there's been a succession of conquering and rebuilding and conquering and rebuilding. So I'd like to go through some of those major moments uh, of conquering and rebuilding in Tel Hatzor's history. Can you talk about the destruction of Hatzor? Or maybe I should say destructions plural, and how you, the archaeologists, have reconstructed it. Okay, so the first major destruction that we have in the city of Hatzor would be the late Bronze Age destruction, the very famous one, the one that is mentioned in the book of Joshua. Um, and we have evidence of this destruction in every single area of excavation, both on the Acropolis and the lower city. This destruction is uh, evident by this huge conflagration layer, which, is in, which includes uh, burnt uh, wooden beams, burnt bones, broken pottery vessels, um, a fallen mud brick and burnt mud brick. And in some cases, we even have the burnt grains that were left in uh, the storage vessels at the site. And when I excavated this destruction level, it measured to, to a height of about three meters. So I think that's like nine feet, something yes, like yes. this. So it's it's a huge destruction level. In other places in the, in on the Acropolis, the destruction level was about a meter and a half, which is about five feet, something like this. In the lower city where we excavated um, many years ago, the destruction level was, it, it's a much, much smaller area and it was uh, domestic, but we still had a destruction level there as well. So in every single area of excavation, we see this destruction. Following this destruction, our new reconstruction of uh, this destruction process at Hatzor was that the entire city, the Acropolis and the lower city, everything was destroyed in this uh, huge conflagration. But after the destruction, only the lower city was resettled for a very short period of time, something like 30 years, something like this. After um, this resettlement, at the end of these 30 years, the city was abandoned for good. And the lower city was never settled again. Even today, when you come to Chatzor, when we look at the lower city, we see that it is a field. It's a worked field that we can see right now, um, the wheat growing in this field. Um, we can see the cows walking in the field and the horses in the afternoons. So this is not, nobody has ever um, 
resettle the site after this uh, huge destruction and abandonment. Um, like I said before, following this, we have the Israelite city. And um, where I excavated at Chatzor, I did not find a destruction level of the Iron Age, except for the end of the Iron Age at Chatzor. So in other areas, there are signs that there might be a destruction or there are um, areas where there is no destruction during this time. So we don't have this huge conflagration uh, uh, layer like we have in the Bronze Age, like what I just described. Um, but at the end of the 8th century, at around 732 BCE, um, like I, I told you before in, in the brief history of Ghazal, we have uh, the city is destroyed by Tiglat Pileso III. And here we have evidence of a destruction. Um, not all of the, the right now the city is uh, mainly houses and workshops and some uh, more public buildings where we see this uh, destruction level, but we don't see this destruction in every single building. Some houses were abandoned before the destruction. Other houses were destroyed. Um, so we see both of these uh, different, um, different contexts. After this destruction, again, we have a level of post-destruction or post-abandonment, a very short period of probably squatters that lived at the site until they abandoned it as well. And then there are small rural um, um, settlements at the site much later. So I'd like to talk a little bit about your archaeological discoveries. Um, and one thing that I found very interesting from your 2019 season, I, I believe, is the seven basalt stairs uh, from the Canaanite Palace. Is that, is that the correct time period? Yes. Um, so in, we actually found this in uh, 2018. 2018, okay. It was okay. published uh, in uh, 2019. Um, but yeah, so we found um, this huge staircase um, that is not known from anywhere in uh, the Levant. Um, each stair is about four and a half meters long or wide. Um, and we found seven uh, of such stairs made of basalt slabs that were cut deliberately in order to be stairs. So this is not like secondary use. The way they are cut, it's like, it, it reminds me of like Legos, how you put Lego one on top of the other. Um, and this is exactly what, what we see. So it's not um, basalt slabs that are in secondary use, but this is intentional for this purpose. I have friends that excavate in some of the most well-known sites in Syria. And when I showed them the picture of this, they were amazed by it because they haven't seen anything like this. When we look at this right now, some people might think that it's modern. Some people might think that it's from the Roman era. But no, this is Canaanite. This is from the second millennium BCE. Have you done any other work with palaces at Hatsor, maybe with regard to King Solomon or anything beyond just that Canaanite palace that you can comment on? I specifically have not done anything on other palaces. I don't think that there is another palace. Um, uh, there is definitely no Solomonic palace at Hatsor. Um, there is a citadel in uh, the ninth century um, in the westernmost part of the tell, where we will visit at the very, very end of our uh, tour today, um, because there is no uh, roof, so uh, no shade. <laughs> there is a, there is no other palace that I have the I've 
uh, excavated. There is another uh, monument at Chatzor, which there is a debate whether it functioned as a ceremonial palace or a royal temple. I am part of the team royal temple. Uh, so I don't consider it a palace. Well, do explain that if you would. Uh, what specifically is this royal temple that you're that you're talking about? So there's um, what we call the ceremonial precinct. It's a very large building. It has a one uh, central hall, which is uh, surrounded by five rooms. Uh, and it has two huge courtyards with an altar in one of them, um, a very large altar. Um, and inside this building, we found uh, lots of um, cultic uh, vessels, um, many um, statues and figurines, and we found um, a, a huge libation um, basin made of basalt with a statue, a basalt statue on top of it, um, and many, many bowls and, and evidence of feasts that took place uh, in regards to this building. So the debate is whether the the architecture of this building is more typical of a palace or of a temple. And there have been many articles that were written about this um, and many debates of, uh, regarding this. But in my opinion, this is the architecture. The, the building is very, very similar to another building in the lower city of Chatzol, which is a temple and nobody, um, uh, there is no debate or argument what is the function of that other building. It's definitely a temple and they are very similar, the way they are built, um, what was found in them. So I believe that this is a temple, but not just based on that. So Shlomit, what are some important archeological discoveries that you can show us here at Hadzor as you've been a part of these excavations for so long now? You're right, there are so many um, amazing discoveries here on the site that we can see today. Uh, some of the most um, sig significant and amazing and important finds are not on the site because there are smaller finds that are now in museums. We have uh, Egyptian statues, actual Egyptian statues, royal statues that were found on the site. And the story of how they are found is incredible by itself. You know, uh, you told me before that you were in an archaeological excavation this summer. And you know that there is like this... Um, uh, urban urban myth that in our in on digs the best finds are found at the end of the excavation the last week right yes the last week so we had two really amazing finds one um is uh the uh, uh two rows of uh pitoy that we found um that were found well we found the top of one of them a week and a half before the excavation was finished. Uh, Pitos is a large storage vessel and it's about uh, five feet high or tall. And we knew that in order to excavate this thing properly, it will take us much more than a week and a half. So we had to stop the excavation and just leave it like that. And then the next year when we came, we excavated it and we found 13 Pitois standing upright. But, and this was the, the first Pitos was found a week and a half before the dig was over. But then after we found these pitoi, on the last hour of the last day, um, when we were cleaning the sections and getting all the tools out of the area, we found uh, two feet of a sphinx of an Egyptian king. And this was very, very significant. And there is no sphinx of this king anywhere 
in the not even in Egypt, so nowhere in the world. And this is the only monumental royal Egyptian statue in the Levant that was found in the second millennium BCE. So this is all. It was very, very exciting to find this. Um, of course, finding the palace itself, the, the administrative palace of Fatsil is also extremely uh, exciting. And for me, it was a very exciting moment. And the stairs, they are, they're also really amazing. But behind every stone in this uh, in the site, you can tell a whole story. So stones from from that build up walls of the Iron Age or um, standing stones um, of the Bronze Age or standing stones of the Iron Age. Each stone here can tell a whole story, and and we can find so many things behind all of them. So there is so much more that I can say about these finds. That gives us a great introduction to the archaeology here at Hadzor. Well, Shlomi, we're almost out of time here on our tour, but I wanted to ask you, it's interesting to me that most people don't know of Hatzor. Most people have never heard of Hatzor. Why is that? Or to put it another way, how was such a powerful city eventually destroyed so much so that we don't even talk about it much today? Um, I think there's um, lots of politics that go into this um, because... In my opinion, the most visited sites in Israel are sites that have to do something with the New Testament. And Fatou has nothing to do with the New Testament, so not a lot of people come and visit it. Um, it's mentioned in the Bible as being destroyed. So the reason why people would come to see it is to see these huge buildings that, according to the biblical narrative, Joshua is the person that came and destroyed these sites, these um, buildings. But there is we don't have um um an inscription joshua was here or david was here or solomon was here or, or anybody um so it's an israelite city and a bronze age city canaanite city but it has stones and in order to understand the site you need a guide to take you to the site and and tell you the stories and tell you what's behind um all of these Stone. So I think that the reason it's it's not well known is because you need the inside of the site to make it more interesting. Well, Shlomit, you have certainly given us the inside information. And as a final question, you know, you're certainly doing important work with uncovering Hatsor and, and giving people a look into what the city was like. But I want to make sure to give you a chance to talk about the work that you're doing at Hatsor. Tell us a little bit about how people could get involved, maybe even personally dig in the dirt here at Hatsor. So uh, in 2022, I finished my uh, my uh, position on the Acropolis of Hatsor. And this summer, I'm starting a new excavation in the lower city of Hatsor. So before I talked about this orthostat temple, um, this uh, temple that is similar to the temple on the Acropolis. Um, and we're going to start an excavation near this temple, uh, uncover the courtyard of this temple and, and probably auxiliary buildings that go with it. And we're going to excavate also domestic buildings. So where actual people, regular people of this huge Bronze Age city lived to see how they lived, what they ate, um, how did they uh, get their food? Um, how did they deal with their environment? How did they, uh, uh, what are the differences between the way they lived and the way that elites and the rulers of the city lived? So we're going to compare the different contexts and see all of these things. And 
it would be great uh, if you join. Abigail, I'm personally inviting you to join our excavation, as well as any listener that is interested in joining the excavation. We have a website and you can sign up through our website. Um, and it's going to be a great season. It will be the first season of our excavation in the in the lower city, first major excavations. There were excavations there by Sharon Zuckerman um, about uh, 15 years ago, but it was a very small area. And before that, only Igael Yadin, who is the forefather of archaeology, excavated there. So ever since there, there hasn't been, a, and he is the only one that did a large-scale excavation in the lower city. And we are also going to start a large-scale excavation, not as large as his, but a very large excavation in the lower city. That is fantastic. I will be passing out information to the virtual voyagers so they can learn more about uh, your work, Shlomit, and how they can get involved. Well, Shlomit, thank you so much for taking the time to lead us around Hatsor today. It's been a wonderful experience, and you've helped deepen our understanding of a site that more people should know about. Thank you very much, Abigail, for coming along with me and for inviting me um, to take you along. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Virtual Voyage, the armchair travel show with me, Abigail, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I hope you'll tune back in next time as we continue our adventures in the land of Israel.